Hello ladies, it's good to see you guys. I do have a confession to start out um, today's devotional. And I just am thankful for the Lord's grace because I tried to get out of having to talk to you today. (laughs) But I kind of heard that voice in my head um, from the classic Jurassic Park that like that little thing that just says, nah, nah, that was like going off in my head as I'm emailing Rachel and asking, I'm stressed, I have a lot going on, who else can do this? But I just knew that God was asking me to press in deeper into his word and to do this. So I thank you for your patience with me today, but um, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder. Um, that we can come to you with our questions and that we can come to you in our stress and that you are are just so faithful to us, God, to move in our hearts and to give us eyes to see uh, things and people as you see them, God. I pray that you would speak to us in this time, God, that you would um, cause us to uh, be reawakened in our love for you, God, and that you would just strengthen our hearts as um, we prepare for this busy holiday season, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we're going to be um, in the book of Judges. And Judges is actually just a history book of the leaders of Israel before it was called a kingdom. And it tells the stories kind of in a, in a cyclical nature. The stories are all kind of the same. It's all God's blessing, the people getting complacent, that leading to sin, then suffering at the hands of their enemies, then the then they cry to God for help, and then God delivers them. And so it's that same cycle over and over again that I think we see in our lives too. But this um, particular story that we're going to be in is in Judges chapter 6, and it's about um, Gideon. And we find him threshing wheat, what we talked about several lessons back. That's usually done on the hillside with the help of wind. But he's actually threshing wheat in a wine press, which is in a dark pit. And so we'll learn more about why he's doing it there. Um, During this time in the Israelite history, the Midianites were actually coming in, and every time there was a harvest, they would come in and they would steal everything that the Israelites had just worked for. And um, I think we can relate to that, too, in a small way as mothers. Every time we clean, somebody just comes right back in and and takes away that beautiful kitchen or that crumb-free floor. That's my thing. I hate crumbs. Anyway, so um, let's start in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 13 to get started. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, in caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to God for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of the Midianites, he asked, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors, and I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. 
but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And I just, what jumped out at me as I'm reading this chapter is the questions that Gideon asked. Because it's questions that sometimes we ask. His first question is, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? And then he jumps and he answers it without waiting for the Lord to reply. And he says, it's because the Lord has abandoned us. And I think so often we equate bad things happening in our lives to God's abandonment. And that's not the truth. That's a lie from the enemy. Because we see later as he asks his next question, where are all the wonders that God's been te- that our fathers told us about that God did? Um, this points out to us the importance of verbalizing God's mission and God's work around us. Not only to our children, obviously as Gideon's parents had done because he knew these stories of God's deliverance from Egypt. Um, but it's pointing them out in real time as, as we see God moving around us. Um, there's a classic um, Christian book written by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. If you've never read it, it's, it's worth a look at. Um, and one of his main points in his book is that God is always at work around you. And so um, we see in this chapter that God was at work around Gideon, even in this time. Um, let's continue reading um, in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So his second question for the Lord is, But Lord, how can I save Israel? And that's not even what God was asking him to do. We sometimes point out to God our excuses, like, don't you know my family? Don't you know my background? How can you be asking me to do this for you? I'm not qualified. I'm not, um, I'm the least in my family, just like Gideon was saying. But I just want to tell you that you are significant and that you have a God-given purpose and that you have a God-given call. And there are qualifications that you think you need to have that maybe you don't need to have, that God is the one that's qualifying you to whatever he's calling you to do. And we get it so backwards because we try to build our own self-confidence when really we need to build our God confidence. And as we build our God confidence, it doesn't matter who we think we are or who we think we are in our family or um, being the least of these, as even Gideon said that that he was. Um, So let's see what what God answers him, um, starting in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites together. Gideon said, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Don't we do the same thing? Um, Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So then Gideon goes and prepares this offering and brings it and... Um, God sends a fire through the rock and consumes that offering right in front of his eyes. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. And so what's interesting is later in verse 22, um, Gideon, it says, When Gideon realized that it was the 
angel of the Lord, he said, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands. And so I think it's so interesting that the Lord revealed to Gideon the aspect of his peace right before he was being sent off to war. And I think God does the same thing for us. Right before he sends us to wherever we're going, he gives us exactly what we need. Um, that new revelation of, of who he is, whether it's seeing him as our strong father, whether it's seeing him as our ultimate provider, whether it's seeing him as our source of strength. Um, he gives us exactly what we need. And for Gideon, that was peace right before he was being sent off. And so I think the Lord's answer to him in verse 16, he says, I will be with you and you're not going to die. God assures him. And later we'll see that um, Gideon's response to this revelation of truth is to build an altar and to call it by a name. And he calls it the Lord is peace. So as we are experiencing things, um, I think we can look back on our own lives and see, like, whenever you get that, that unexpected text that was just what you needed to hear, or that unexpected letter in the mail that gave you that encouragement that let you see, like, oh, that really was God talking to me to step out in faith in this area or that area or in obedience, um, that he does those timely moments for us, too. Um, but what, what God asked him to do after he does this, he tells him... Um, I don't know. I may not read all this part so we don't go too long. But um, in verse 16 through 24, um, God tells Gideon to take the idols that were built by his family and his father and to destroy them. And so that can kind of be like, okay, well, God just told him to go off to war and save him from the Midianites. And now he's telling him to destroy these idols. What's the purpose of that? And we'll see later that God in a miraculous way, frees the Israelites from this oppression that they've been dealing with. And he doesn't want anybody else to get the credit. If those idols had still been put up, the people could have just as easily given Baal, the false idol, the credit for the relief from the Midianites. But God wanted those temples destroyed and those idols destroyed. And when Gideon does that, he actually gets given a nickname by the townspeople. And they called him Jerubbabel, which means contender with Baal. And basically his dad just kind of puts him up and says, you know, let Baal deal with him. Don't, don't hurt Gideon for doing this. You know, if Baal's a real god, he'll, he'll defend himself out of Gideon's hand. And so it's interesting that even his dad didn't really stand up for him in that moment, in, in my view. But, um, but God's called us to get rid of the idols before this um, mountaintop experience of having victory over the Midianites. And... Um, I think for us, sometimes we can kind of be, um, at least for myself, I think, well, I don't have a statue in my house. I don't pray to anybody else but God, so do I really have an idol? But there's this, um, this popular song, uh, Jimmy Needham sings it. I just want to read you, I'm not going to sing to you. Uh, I just want to read you um, part of the verse, and it, I think it really explains um, idol, what idol worship is today. It says, anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. And so that just really points out to me the idols that are in my heart, whether it be my kids, whether it be this 
picture-perfect view of how I think things should be, whether it be a certain um, security blanket of this much money in the bank account or whatever it is. Those are, those are things that I can see in my life that I need to tear down um, so that I can have that victory like Gideon had. And I do have a funny story to tell you guys. Um, I did um, an iPhone update the other day, and it alerted me my phone usage, and I don't know how it keeps this track. But it, it popped up on my phone and it said, congratulations, your iPhone usage is down 33% from last week. I'm like, sweet. I didn't even know. I was blessed on my phone. Look at me. You're doing good. And then the next sentence reads, for an average of 3.1 hours a day. And you know what? That got me in the gut because I thought I was doing much better than that. Um, so I just share that to say, if you do the iPhone update, it'll alert you <laughs> to how often you're on your screen. But it just was eye-opening for me because when is the last time that I've spent even close to that length of time solid with the Lord in a day? And so we have time. <laughs> we have time. So I'm finding that myself. I'll just confess. Um, so the truth that I want us to apply from this passage is that maybe to experience victory, God wants us first to get rid of the idols in our life so that he can get all the credit when there's that victory that comes. Um, and that he makes those odds impossible so that we'll have to lean on him. Um, as we close, uh, I just want to say that Gideon is also found in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. And even though he asked God questions. And so I think it's okay to ask God your questions. Um, even that though Gideon asked for signs. Is that really you talking to me? I think it's okay to ask that if you're asking an impurity of heart and and be ready for his answer. Um, But I just want to close us with with the thought that um, in this passage that we read, um, the Lord actually asked him a question. And the question that he asked, I think he's asking of us. And he said, Gideon, am I not sending you? And so just um, as we ponder that in prayer, um, and then we ponder that in our discussion questions, is there a place um, that God is sending you? So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. Thank you for being gracious to Gideon so that we can see how you would be gracious to us when we ask you our questions. Thank you for revealing yourself as peace before the war, God. I just ask you to be with these ladies in our discussion time and that you would encourage them and equip them and um, just let them know how deeply they are loved by you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.